I don't really know how many weeks that I'll preach on this series on table talk. It was totally unexpected when the Lord just began to drop some things into my spirit about the Lord's table. And I've had so many thoughts this week that I could share about God's table. One of those thoughts is about that table in heaven that's waiting on us. How many is looking forward to that table? I want to tell you this morning that I believe that that table is already set and ready. I believe that. From the beginning moments of time, God has been working on that table so that we might join Him there perpetually in fellowship and in communion with Him. And He was so determined to have us as His dinner guest that He sent His own Son to pay the bill for us before our reservation was ever made. Can I get a witness this morning? One of these days, we're going to that table in heaven. Another thought that I've had this week is about the table that we're sitting at right here this morning. See, some folk come each week and they don't get anything but the appetizers. They like the worship and the energy but they can't digest much word. They, they just don't do the word well. They like the singing, and they like the electricity. But then you've got some folks who like the meat, and they enjoy the main course of the word. They like to chew on it. They like to digest it. Yet for some reason, some of those folks are still passing on the dessert. Anybody in the house this morning ever tasted the sweetness of the Holy Ghost? Anybody? And I believe that that's an issue in the church today. Many are passing because they've never tasted that sweetness for themselves. I was talking with a couple of young people this week whom I love dearly, and before I even realized it, these words left my mouth. I said, you know what? Some folk think we're crazy, but they don't know what I know. I know what I know. Is there anybody else in the house this morning that will say, I know what I know. You ought to give the Lord some praise. So at some point before this series is over, there has to be a message about the dessert because I believe that every time we assemble ourselves together at this table, we ought to be serving up the Holy Ghost to folks that choose to dine here. Don't you agree? So at some point, we'll get to that. But First things first. So last week, if you weren't here, we talked about table manners. Getting to the table isn't enough. We also got to learn how to behave and conduct ourselves once we get to the table. We need to remember that our meals, every time we serve up a meal, it should heal. We need to get a, a nose fix. If you wasn't here for what I talked about, we need a nose job. If you wasn't here for what I talked about last week, we got to make sure we're not blowing our nose at the table. We got to keep our elbows off the table we got to invite people to the table that can never pay us back. That's what God's called us to do. So last week we read that. If you didn't get to be here, go back and watch or listen to it or read it for yourself. Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. But today, I want us to pick up where we left off last week. If you'll stand with me all over the room. I want us to see what else Jesus had to say about the table in particular, what he says about the dinner guests. Now the first 14 verses, when he talked about table manners, there was some tension that was created at the table. And this is where uh, somebody speaks up 
to try to cut some of the tension. So I want you to look with me what the Word had to say. Luke chapter 14, beginning with verse 15. The Word said that triggered a response. I'm reading from the message translation from one of the guests. How fortunate the one who gets to eat dinner in God's kingdom. Jesus followed up, yes. For there was once a man who threw a great dinner party and invited many. When it was time for dinner, he sent out his servant to the invited guests saying, Come on in, the food is on the table. Then they all began to beg off, one after another making excuses. Say excuses. The first one said, I bought a piece of property and I need to go look it over. Send my regrets. Another said, I just bought five teams of oxen and I really need to go check them out. Send my regrets. And yet another said, I just got married. I need to go home to my wife. The servant went back and told the master what happened. And he was, he, the sir, the master, he, the master was outraged. And he told the servant, quickly, say quickly. Quickly, get out into the city streets and alleys. Collect all who look like they need a square meal. All the misfits and the homeless and the down and out you can lay your hands on. And bring them where? Here. The servant reported back, master, I did what you commanded. And there's still room. The master said, then go to the country roads. Whoever you can find, drag them in. I want my house full. Let me tell you, listen to this. Let me tell you, not one of those originally invited is going to get so much as a bite at my dinner party. Whoa. God's going to speak to us today about dinner guests. If you will, pray with me and for me one more time. Father, we thank you for your word. I ask God that you'd remove the hindrances, Lord, in the next 15 or 20 minutes, that you can speak your word clearly to us, anoint our ears to hear and our hearts to receive. God, as you speak to us about the guests that you want dining at your table, we give you the glory, the honor, and the praise for what you're going to do in and through your word today. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Nicholas. We have a dinner date. Let me say that. Anybody else besides me get excited about dinner dates? We have a dinner date. We, you and I, have received an invitation to come and dine with the master of the universe. And yet, many of us, rather than being filled with a sense of gratitude, many of the church world today, rather than being filled with a sense of gratitude, are filled with a bunch of excuses. Reasons why we can't commune or why we don't want to commune this weekend or why even sometimes we've went ahead and disqualified ourselves from being eligible for communion. A famous preacher by the name of D.L. Moody, Moody said this, and when I read this quote this week, for some reason I thought about Brother Benny Fields. It sounds just like something he would say. But D.L. Moody said this, Excuses are the cradle that Satan rocks men to sleep in. Excuses are the cradle that Satan rocks men to sleep in. Is it sin or is it our schedule that gets us removed from the table? Or could it be both? Better yet, could it be that our schedule is a sin? See, the folks that were invited to the table 
if you read the story with me, were so busy that they completely missed God. So busy, they completely missed God. I also want you to notice some of their excuses this morning. Now, two of their excuses were utterly ridiculous. The first one says, I bought a piece of property sight unseen, and I need to go take a look at it. Now, really? Who buys a piece of real estate without checking it out first? I don't know where Bar Flannery is today, but she'd tell you, wouldn't be a very smart decision. Then the second one says that he's bought a team of oxen, and he needs to go try them out. Really? I'm not much about farming. I don't know a whole lot about it, but I highly doubt that John Martin would go buy a team of oxen without checking them out for first. Or better yet, in this day and time, that'd be like going to buy a tractor without checking it out and knowing what kind of equipment it had on it first. Uh, do you, any of you in the house today, if you want to put it in terms you can understand, do you go buy a car without test driving it? No. Maybe unless you call Carvana and they drop it off at your house, but then you still got seven days to drive it around and change your mind, right? So that's ridiculous, crazy, and absurd excuses for why they couldn't come to the dinner party. Can I tell you today that the church as we know it is filled with some ridiculous, crazy, absurd excuses for why we can't come and dine with the master. And then the last one gives what sounds like a reasonable excuse. It sounds reasonable to me because this week, Angie and I are going to separate. Lord Jesus, help me. I hope I'm not a prophet and didn't know it. This week, we're going to celebrate. Celebrate. You hear me well, devil. I said celebrate. 25 years of marriage. Look at your neighbor and say they made it. 25 years before they separate. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. We're going to celebrate this week. So to me, that third guy, that sounds like a halfway decent excuse. Hey, I just got married. I want to go home to my wife. Right? But I want you to notice, even yet, that excuse was cast aside. So I've got two thoughts here. First off, we make some crazy excuses and we act like they're reasonable. We make some crazy excuses and we act like they're reasonable. And then secondly, even our good excuses are ridiculous in light of the fact that we're throwing away an invitation from the King of Kings, from the Lord of Lords, from the God of the universe to come and spend time with Him in order to do things, other things that pale in comparison to our time with God. Oh, I can't go to church today. I want to go to the lake. I can't worship with my family today. We're all too tired from balling all weekend. Oh, oh, I can't serve on Sunday, Pastor. I only get two days off, and I stay up too late on Saturday night to get up early on Sunday morning. Oh, now, now Pastor, I, I, can't, I can't witness to people out in public. I can't do that. I'm too backward. I can't sing on the praise team or play in the band. They... Nicholas makes them practice too much. I'm too busy to do all that practice. Oh, I, I can't come back to church yet. I didn't get the vaccine. Well, we did. 
And in the words of the old country boy, we don't care. And obviously, you don't care either. Well, it's about to get quiet up in this Presbyterian church today. Obviously, you don't care either because you're going to Walmart, Lowe's, Kroger, Dollywood, the ball field, the beach, and the zoo. And then you're putting it on social media to rub it in all of our faces. So if you didn't get COVID, or COVID, as some of y'all like to say, if you, and I know it's a serious, I, I've got a friend, a pastor friend right now battling it. I know it's serious. But if you didn't get COVID there, do you really believe that you're going to get COVID just because you come to church to worship God? See, one of the things wrong with the church today is that we've got a bad case of the I can'ts. Now, my mama had a saying, some of your mamas probably did too, and it went like this, can't never did do nothing, right? We've got a bad case of the I can'ts, and I want you to listen to your pastor this morning. I can't can lead you to some very painful you can'ts. Jesus himself said in Matthew 7 and 23 that some people were going to show up wanting an entrance into heaven one day, and he was going to have to look at them and say, depart from me, I never did know you. Folks, I believe he's going to say that to some people that attended church every Sunday. I never did know you. See, we let us off the hook easier than God does. This isn't an average, normal invitation. The invitation to come to the table with Jesus is the greatest honor and privilege that you have received or ever will receive in this life. And I think the real issue is that some of us take the meal for granted. We've eaten so often and so well that we ignore the incredible privilege that we have to even have a place at His table. I believe it's time for us to reconsider the nature of the invitation. It's time for us to realize that this dinner invitation ought to trump every little trivial, temporal, pleasurable pursuit that we run after in this life. I didn't get one single amen. I said it ought to trump, no pun intended, it ought to trump every single trivial, temporal, temporal, pleasurable pursuit that we have in this life. See, if we continue to excuse our excuses, our excuses might just get us excused. Let that sink in. If we continue to excuse our excuses, our excuses may just get us excused. Is it possible that we are missing an invitation to a better life, a greater influence, a financial blessing, a new level of relationship, simply because we have excused ourselves out of the invitation? We ought to take the invitation seriously. Secondly, I want to talk about this. A dinner date is required. Anybody ever went to an event where a dinner date was required? Some of y'all need a dinner date. You're saying, Pastor, you don't even know how bad. But I'm not talking about that kind of dinner date. See, what Jesus teaches us in this account in Scripture is that 
the master refuses to throw a banquet and allow us to enjoy the empty seats around us. The price was too high to get the table ready. The cost was too great to prepare that meal. It was too expensive to buy the fine china and all of the cutlery and the crystal. But we seem to get so comfortable because it's made available to us so often. And if we are comfortable, it might be a good indication that we have grown complacent in our walk with Christ and our place in His kingdom. See, I love church, but you can get all dressed up for church if you want to, but it's not the proper attire that's the key to admission. Did you hear me? I said it's not what you're wearing that's the key to admission. It's whether or not you're bringing somebody else to the table. The master didn't say, go get the ones and tell them to dress up for dinner. No, he said, you go find out the out, you go find the outcast. Go find the misfits. Go find the down and out. And you bring them in and give them a place at my table. See, there's room at the table. And it's our responsibility, it's our responsibility to fill it. God doesn't send the lost into the church. Did you know that? Somebody says, no, wait a minute. He said in his word, if, if, if I be lifted up, I'll draw them in unto me. That's true, he will. If you come in this church and you're lost and they're lifting up the name of Jesus on the platform, he's, draw, he's trying to draw you to him. But God doesn't send the lost into the church. God sends the found into the world to bring the lost into the church. Say amen, somebody. It's our responsibility to bring in the dinner guests. See, the reality is it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the table's set. It doesn't matter if the meal's prepared. If we don't expose those who are hungry to it. You can cook all the lobster and the filet mignon you want to. By the way, if you ever want to have me for dinner, I like lobster and filet mignon. But you can cook all the lobster. Rita's invited me to dinner, and she's laughing now because she knows that's, going, that's not going to be a cheap one. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You can cook all the lobster and the filet mignon you want to. But if there's nobody coming in hungry to eat it, you've wasted your time. Did you hear me? We can serve up. I didn't say this at 845, but I feel it right now. We can serve up the best praise and worship you could be exposed to. We can have the best media presentations you've ever seen. We can have the friendliest greeters on the parking lot and at the door. We can have the cleanest sanctuary. We can have the best sound. We can get the devil out of it. We can have that. But if there's nobody hungry, if we didn't bring anybody hungry to eat it, we've wasted our time. So who should we bring to the table, Pastor? I'm so glad you asked. Jesus had folks as dinner guests that were suspect at best. He spent his time. If you read much of this scripture, you'll find that he spent his time dealing with misfits, with outcasts, with the unwanted. He did this so often, as a matter of fact, that the accusation against him 
from the church folk, let that sink in for a minute, was that he ate with tax collectors and sinners. That's what they wanted to ridicule him for. Or as one translation says it, why does your master eat with such scum? That's the way they referred to him. I want to ask you today, who you been eating with? Why is it that most of the time we're only willing to eat with those who are cleaned up? We're only willing to eat with those who already like the same kind of food that we like. We're only willing to eat with those who we aren't ashamed to be seen with. Come on, somebody. See, I want to know, has anybody in here been accused? That's what they did to Jesus. Been accused of eating with any scum lately? Now, don't take this somewhere where I'm not going and say, Oh, now, Pastor, wait a minute. We're not supposed to go into the bar and sit down beside people at the bar and try to get them saved. No, but there ain't a thing wrong with passing by them at the bar and saying, Hey, won't you come over to my table and eat with me? I'd like to talk to you. There ain't a problem in the world with saying, uh, You know what? I, it's good to see you here tonight. I'd like for you to come meet me for, for dinner sometime. See, we need to be accused, like Jesus was, of eating with folks that aren't like us. Don't look like us. Don't walk like us. Don't act like us. Don't talk like us. Don't dress like us. But the problem is we tend to want to avoid them instead of bringing them to the table. And you know who we should be bringing to the table with us? The unexpected should be the expectation for our dinner guest. Did you hear me? The unexpected should be the expectation for our dinner guest. See, we, we clean up nice in the church, right? But I wonder how many of us were in the byways and the highways and really aren't any more deserving at a seat of a seat at the table than anybody else. Mm-hmm. I wonder if we had an old-fashioned testimony service, how many people would stand up from the table and say, I was addicted, but now I'm at the table. I messed up sexually, but now I've got a seat at the table. How many would say, I was a trespasser. I was lost and dead in sin. I was a drunkard. I was this or I was that, but now... I've got a seat at the king's table. I used to be in the pit, but some way, somehow, I found my way to the palace. And the king pulled me up a seat at the table, and he's been feeding me ever since. Hmm. See, I feel compelled now. You know what compel means? To beg. I feel begged of the Lord for me to go beg somebody else to come to the table. See, I think sometimes that we forget that we used to be the unexpected ourselves. And so we fail to go after the unexpected. Why is it that those of us in the church particularly who have been forgiven of so much forgive so little? I think the church, not this church, but the church world as a whole, I was talking with Ernie before church about this. I think the church world as a whole has ran off more people trying to straighten them out and clean them up than they've won to the kingdom. If we would let our job be what our job is, and that's invite them to the table, Jesus will do the rest. 
If we'll just fish for them, Jesus will clean them up after we catch them. See, I think we also miss something in this story sometimes, and that is this. We don't get to eat until the table's full. When the servant came back and he said, Master, I've done everything you told me to, and there's still room around this table. What did the master say? Well, then go back and go deeper. That's what he said when he said go to the country roads. Go back and go deeper in the country. Go looking for every single person you can find and drag them in. I want my house full. Can I tell you, God is not satisfied when his house is not full. Look around you at the empty seats this morning. I want to tell you something. It cost him too much to spread the table. It cost him too much to prepare the meal. It cost him too Too much to get the banquet ready for us to come and just want to partake of it ourselves. We ought to be begging. We ought to be compelling. Come go with me. I've drunk some water that if you'll drink it, you'll never thirst again. Come enjoy what God's given me at his table. So God's given us instructions. We got marching orders, and that is we got to go out and get the unexpected and bring them in. It says nothing in this word about judging them. It says nothing in this word about us cleaning them up. Jesus simply says, go get them and compel them to come in. I want to ask you this afternoon, who are you compelling to come in? Who are you begging to come in? Maybe I ought to ask it this way. Are you compelling or are you repelling? Many times... Many times, church people forget they're supposed to be church people when they're not at the church house. But what they forget is the church people is running into the lost people outside the church house. And the lost people see the church people act worse than lost people. And then the lost people say, why on earth would I want to be a church people? I'm a nicer lost people than they are a church people. But it's the truth. Are you compelling or are you repelling? I read a story this week and I'm almost finished. It really stirred me up. Tony Campolo, he was a very well-known author and evangelist. Christian author and evangelist, if you've ever heard of him. He tells the story of a trip that he took to Hawaii. Jet lag kept him awake late into the night. He went for a walk out on the streets of Honolulu and found himself out at 2 a.m. in the morning. He found a little donut shop that was open 24 hours, and he went into the donut shop, and sitting at the counter, he overheard several prostitutes who were sharing a booth over from him. And one of the girls, whose name was Agnes, mentioned that it was her birthday. And after she left, Tony turned to the cook, and he turned to the other prostitutes that were still in the booth, and he said, hey, y'all be here tomorrow night? Yeah, we'll be here. Let's throw a party for Agnes, he said. The other girls agreed to bring decorations, and the cook said he would bake a cake. And So the next night, they all came back about the same time, after midnight, 2 a.m. in the morning. They gathered at the donut shop, and when Agnes walked in, they brought out the cake, and they began to sing, Happy birthday to you. And Tony said that tears began to stream down Agnes's face. And when it came time to cut the cake, she just stood there. And finally, she said, well, wait just a second. Could, could I buy another birthday cake from somewhere else, and we eat that one, I really want to take this one home and show it to my mama. They said, yeah, that'll be all right. With that, Agnes took the cake and she left. 
Tony said in the sudden silence that filled that donut shop after she left, he said, I just bowed my head, and I began to pray out loud. God, we thank you for Agnes and for your love for her. God, you loved her enough to send your son to die for her on the cross. We thank you for the best birthday present of all, the present of your son Jesus. And God, I pray that some way, somehow, you'd help me show Agnes that she can receive that gift too. Amen. When he raised up his head, he saw all the prostitutes had their heads bowed. They'd been praying with him. They lifted him up and they looked at him. And the cook looked at him and said, you're a preacher. Tony said, yeah. The cook asked, what kind of church do you have? Tony said, without reservation, instantly something inside of me spoke before I could speak for myself. And I said, the kind that throws parties for prostitutes and gives invitations for sinners. What kind of church do we need to have? The kind that throws parties for prostitutes and gives invitations to sinners. What kind of church do we have? The kind that throws parties for drug addicts and gives invitations to lesbians and homosexuals. What kind of church do we need to have? The kind that throws parties for the sick and the lame and gives invitation to the dinner for those that can't help themselves here. It's our job and our responsibility to bring them in. And the story goes on that Tony was able to share Jesus with Agnes and she accepted him as her personal Savior. If they'll come to the music today, I'm going to close with this. I was also reminded of another story in the Bible this week, and this story is found in 2 Samuel chapter 9. And Shauna had no idea that I planned to talk about this in this sermon series when she posted it on Facebook last week after our services. But it's a story where King David is looking for some dinner guests. And he seeks out anybody who is left in Saul's family to invite them to dinner. Now, if you know anything about the stories of David and Saul, you'll remember that Saul sought to kill David on several occasions. He was chasing after him, and he wanted David dead. So the remaining members of Saul's family were not the likely people that you would be expecting David to want to invite to dinner. But David wanted to find somebody, anybody in Saul's family that he could show kindness to. Because when you've got the real Jesus down inside of you, you'll invite the most unlikely dinner guest and share some of the goodness you've received with them. Anyway, David gets word that Saul's grandson, Jonathan's son, by the name of Mephibosheth, he was living down in a town called Lodabar. Lodabar means no pasture, no place to feed. The Bible says Mephibosheth was lame in both feet. See, when he was little, his nanny was caring for him when they had to flee. And when the nanny fled, she dropped him, broke both of his legs. I wonder how many people have been dropped in the church. And we've left them lame in both their feet. But anyway, the Bible said Mephibosheth was lame in both feet. And at one time, he had lived as royalty. But now he was living as an outcast, alone 
no place to feed. Crippled, the Bible said. He was an unlikely dinner guest. But when David heard about Mephibosheth, he said to his servant Ziba, he said, Ziba, go get him and bring him to me. I'm going to return all of his grandfather's things to him and give him a place to live. And I'm going to give him a seat at my table for the rest of his life. And the Bible tells us at the end of that chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 9, that from then on, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem and ate at the king's table. He came from a place that was known as no place to feed. But he found himself at the king's table with meals being served up regularly. He came from a life of isolation into a fellowship with a family. He came as an outcast who had nothing in Lodabar to a palace and a life of royalty at the king's table. He came with nothing, but he found a life of abundance and a life of blessing. And you know what I like most about this story? See, there was other folks at the king's table as well. Tyler, I want you to come help me this morning. Tyler's a good-looking boy. Good-looking, healthy boy. There was other people at the king's table who were healthy, who weren't crippled, who had it all together, who had already been living as royalty for a long time. And they were seated at the king's table. I want you to have a seat right here. And then, sorry Jace, but you get to be crippled. Then there was Mephibosheth. I'm not going to carry you up here. You all just pretend I'm carrying you. Mephibosheth was crippled. He was weak. He was scraggly. He hadn't been sitting at the king's table. He hadn't been living life as royalty. He hadn't been enjoying the abundance or the banquet. But guess what? In his brokenness, when he sat down at the king's table, you can't tell the difference that he was broken from the waist down and the one who was healthy. Because at the king's table, the crippled, whoo, I feel the Lord, and the well, the poor and the rich, those who've been living as outcasts with nothing to those who've been living with a family in abundance, they all look the same when they're seated at the king's table. What am I trying to say this morning? I'm saying we need to go after those that are crippled. We need to go after those that are broken. We need to go after those that are living in isolation and are down in a place where there is no food, where there is no passion, where there is no power. And we need to carry them in, bring them in, and give them a place at the king's table where God can do in their life what only God can do. Thank you, fellas. Stand with me all over the room today. I feel the Lord's presence in this place in a mighty, mighty way. I want to tell you today, we got to decide. I said we got to be the ones to decide. 
We can be the church that enjoys a good meal and goes home every Sunday. But not as long as I'm the pastor. I mean that. Not as long as I'm the pastor. As long as I'm the pastor, we're going to be the kind of church and the kind of people that refuse to sit down at a table with a bunch of empty chairs. Our guest might have to limp to the table. We might have to carry some of them to the table. They might have to lean on us just to make it to the table. Some of them, they might reek. I started to say stink a little, but that ain't strong enough. They might reek. They might have the smell of this world all over them. But you know what we're going to do? We're going to remember that nose job we talked about last week. We're not going to blow our noses or push our elbows around. We're going to get them to the table and let God feed them. We're going to get them to the table and let God give them a drink of that living water. We're going to get them to the table and let God heal their brokenness, heal their crippledness, heal their diseases, heal their addictions, deliver them from what has them bound. We just got to get them to the table. So as I close today, we got to ask ourselves some questions about our church and then realize the only way that we can create this kind of culture in, within our church is for each of us to ask individually these questions. Are we practicing? We talked about it last week, good table manners. Are we healing around the table? Are we preferring others over ourselves? Are we favoring the unfavorable? And as we talked about today, are we bringing the less fortunate, the outcast, and the crippled to God's table? Folks, I believe with everything in me and I'm not talking about a building I'm talking about this church body but I believe with everything in me that God wants to do some great things at this table I believe that with everything in me but I want us to look at this before we pray Luke chapter 14 verses 21 through 24 again the servant went back and told the master what had happened he was outraged the master was outraged the master was mad and he said quickly right now get up go out to the city streets and the alleys collect all who look like they need a square meal all the misfits all the homeless all the down and outs you can lay your hands on and bring them here the servant came back and reported master I did what you commanded and there's still room the master said then go further go further go on down to the country roads whoever you can find drag them in did you hear that I want my house what full I want you to notice this the master said let me tell you something none of those who were originally invited and made those excuses they're not going to get as much as a bite at my dinner party whoa folks they were invited some of us today need to reconsider our own invitation. Did you hear me? We need to reconsider our own invitation and then we need to do everything we can to get them to the table. If you're not at the table today, I want to tell you, there's an invitation for you to the King's table. As they sing when we open this altar, if you'll find a place to pray. I want to tell the rest of you, you need to be asking God. First of all, you need to examine your invitation. Then you need to be asking God, God, who do you want me to bring to the table? Who do you want me to bring to the table? Because I promise you, if you ask Him to show you, He'll show you who they are.